0: Okay, motor
1: Doc Hello everyone and welcome back. I'm Mike.
2: I'm Jim. Good evening. Hope you're well. I'm Dave. How is everyone? All right? As well as all things considered can be really i suppose 2022 isn't it it's just uh we're 2021 left off really isn't it But there we are but hey at least 2022 it's 22 so that matches the number on our track
1: car so there's something it does good and this is a world of cheese and wine and so we crack on although we have got some problems haven't we or rather you and i have got some problems and that is largely just getting cars in uh, and i'm saying from a, a motor perspective here where 2021 left off, 2022 has carried on in that we are being set targets to sell cars, and unfortunately, cars are not landing through the doors still because of pesky little semiconductors.
2: Yeah, we, we seem to have had a target to to sell double the number of cars we actually have or will have this month, which is or will build. You know, even even by you know sketchy large company mathematics where two quarters never equal a half and two halves never equal a whole. It's, you know, it's, it's pushing it. I think they're saying every car that we have, we need to sell it twice, which is, um, you know, we, we certainly could do in terms of used cars, the number of used cars that we sell, and then somebody phones up a day later and says, oh, I'd have bought that. And somebody else phones up a day later and says, oh, I'd have bought that. It's, uh, the the demand is certainly still there, but the, uh, the supply most certainly isn't. I think we were hoping that the uh, the situation would ease as 2021 progressed and, 2022 began, but I'm not quite sure that's the uh, the case, and I'm not holding out a lot of hope for uh, for this year, to be honest. Um, although I think other factors and, and dictating factors, just as uh, plenty of airlines are running empty flights because they need to keep their uh, landing slots open at certain airports, our friends in the EU setting CO2 targets for manufacturers seems to be having an effect, as uh, it's almost impossible to get anything out of a major manufacturer that produces a lump of CO two, so we're we're here with some hard hitting, useful consumer advice as always on uh, on UK Motor Talk. That if you are looking to order a, a, a brand new car, pick something with lower CO two. I mean, it's it's the way things have been pushed with uh, with a ban on internal combustion engines and road tax brackets, and you know cheaper running costs on electric cars if you can ignore the uh, the high purchase price. But uh, of course, all the manufacturers get set a uh, CO2 limit every year and if if the average uh, of all their cars added together goes over the limit that they get set, then they get fined an insane amount. I think it's 80 something euros per gram per kilometre per car, isn't it? So if uh, if your average fleet is one gram over and you sell half a million cars just in Britain alone, it suddenly becomes a very big issue. But of course, the fine is Europe-wide. So uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head how many cars Ford, VW, Renault, Audi, Mercedes, BMW, etc. register across the whole of Europe. I'd be guessing it's quite a lot. And I'd be guessing that €80 times even one by quite a lot is too much money for them to consider. So... Uh, yeah, well, I think we're seeing that if you order something fully electric or uh, or with hybrid, whether it's plug-in full hybrid or mild hybrid technology, you get that a little bit quicker. Uh, anything diesel is, is virtually impossible to get a hold of. I mean, uh, r- Rangers, we're seeing, you know, lead times of over a year at the moment, which for a pickup truck is uh, is absolutely crazy.
1: It is. I mean, you have to, to bear in mind the market's quite an interesting one for that at the moment because you can't buy a Nissan... Whatever it is, because they well they they just stopped making them. The same for the for the Mercedes. you can't buy Mitsubishi. Yes, because Mitsubishi don't exist anymore. So there there aren't a lot in the way of 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 pickup trucks available. So it kind of makes sense that it was a popular truck anyway, multi warning truck, and so people people going for that really whether they wanted to because they thought it was a good truck or whether it's it's because it's the only real option at the moment. I don't know. But this is, this is definitely the case for almost every manufacturer. Stuff's hard to come by. Uh, I think the Korean manufacturers seem to be recovering a bit quicker from this, actually, if I'm completely honest. But the knock-on effect is cars that are nearly new, which were usually relatively plentiful, whether, you know, the cars that are changed after a couple of years, three years, stuff that's come off of business and rental fleets, all that kind of stuff, Just it just isn't appearing. So there's not so much used stuff. So used stuff is more expensive to buy. Because new stuff isn't available. Uh, so there is still a bit of a knock on effect. The industry hasn't quite recovered yet. It's going to take a little while before it does. And this is a, a storm of many different facets really. It's partly of the of auto manufacturer's own making that they stopped making the car, so they stopped buying the chips. The manufacturer of the chips then found other people to sell the chips too, and they go into lots of things like iPads and phones and bits and pieces. And I, I'd say this all briefly because I'm sure we've covered this before. A combination of COVID, a a massive fire in one of the huge semiconductor plants has basically meant it's very hard to get these bits. Uh, And these little chips do really odd but integral functions on the car now. So things like the reversing cameras or sensors, sat-nav, things that are extras, admittedly, but certainly these days, things that you can't live without.
2: It's even things like one-touch electric windows, you know, the yeah. the thing that fascinated people and was a selling point of uh, the mid-range model over the base model going back uh, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years. The fact that you could just press the button once and your windows went all the way up or all the way down. Most cars built in 2022 won't do that because that uses a semiconductor up. So you multiply that out and actually, well, if we don't put that in all the cars, then we can build four more cars per month or week or whatever it is so we'll do that instead it just seems very odd having to hold your finger on the button now for a uh, (laughs) firm to wind your window up seems like too much effort to be honest but maybe that's uh, that's how spoiled we become
3: it's other things as well isn't it the sort of the more luxury higher-end audio packages the harman cardens and i know bang and olofsson particularly for i think Mini. It's not an option you can tick at the moment because it needs more chips to make it sound better and you can't order that. It's strange mm-hmm. times we're living in. But the yeah, the one touch window thing, the horror. Go back to
2: <laughs> manual wine windows. It's a, it's the only solution. Well, we've got them in Actually, the back of the let's, fiesta. Let's all go back to uh to mm. Mark One and Mark Two versions of absolutely everything. You know, we we said I think in the last podcast we were all lusting after Mark one, Mark two Golfs, and uh, and Fiat two notes, and things like that. I'm sure there must be some sort of uh, loophole in the regulations where actually, if you're putting a heritage model back into production, you can get away with it. So um, yeah, should, should we get on the phone to uh, to VW and say if you if mind just firing up production of Mark one and Mark two Golfs? Because how many semiconductors will those use? One. You must love Maybe the tooling do. kicking but
3: around somewhere in Wolfsburg, haven't yeah, you? Just they could the make
2: millions of them. Let's, I mean, can you imagine it tomorrow if VW said, actually, to, uh, to get around all the, uh, the cack that's going on in the world, uh, may we introduce the uh, the Mark I Golf GTI 16-valve. There you are. Uh, get on with it. The, you know, the waiting t- list would extend miles. Is an <laughs> uh, but don't worry, because we've already built 100,000 of them. They, they'd just fly off the shelves, wouldn't they? That'd be brilliant. I'd buy one. I'd have one. Yeah, I there we, we are. So there we are. We've uh, early on in only our second podcast of the year. We've uh, we fixed twenty twenty two. So uh, if anyone is from VW is listening, uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll only take a modest commission of uh, of a Mark One and Mark Two Golf each. Thank you very much.
3: Well, that's goodbye from me. Take care,
1: and uh, we'll see you next time.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night.
1: <laughs> I have to admit, I definitely, I would I would be on board for Mark One Golf, but it would never fly in terms of the regulations and safety and emissions everything else, particularly now everything has to be hybrid. And I don't think there's space for a battery pack on that. But um, the WRC starts again this week uh, in Monte Carlo. And, of course, everything's starting to become hybrid as well. So uh, Graham, actually back at a noisy festival speed in 21, um, spoke to Tim Jackson, who's the senior engineer at M-Sport, Mark Rushbrook, who's the global head of performance now, and Malcolm Wilson from the legendary M-Sport. About what's coming to WRC. 2022 is going to see some
4: fairly dramatic changes in the World Rally Championship regulations, as they enter the hybrid era. And Ford and M Sport are very keen to make good progress with the new car. It's it's based upon the Puma, although it's heavily modified version thereof. I asked Tim Jackson, senior engineer M Sport, how their testing was going.
5: It's our first time out in a kind of a public setting for the car. So this is one of our test cars that we've been, been using. Uh, feedback from the testing on this this brand new car has been really good as well. So yeah, testing in general is going good and, and here is going well too. It's a, a dual power. So the actual the internal combustion engine um, in the car is carried over from the, the current WRC cars that you see. Uh, a lot of that was for, for cost saving. So whilst they're not the cheapest engine in the world, if you imagine that everyone's got to develop a whole new engine for category it's those development costs that you save by carrying over the same engine so the internal combustion engine is the same we've then got um, a hybrid unit in the car which is the same for all the competitors Uh, it adds a maximum of 100 kilowatts um, and it's kind of done as a as a boost on top of the internal combustion engine Um, so obviously when you're kind of driving part throttle wise they're they're mixing between the two but when you're full throttle you'll have full output from the internal combustion engine uh, and then the opportunity to have full output from that, that hundred kilowatts. Too. So
4: in that respect it pretty much mirrors uh, an F1 car and, and it's it's sort of power delivery.
5: Yeah exactly and it's getting a blend of the, the power between the, the, the internal combustion engine and the hybrid where you know you improve the drivability and, and can make all the performance gains so yeah. quite. Simple.
4: I'm guessing this is still so very experimental you're not going to be going for times up the hill. You're just letting it stretch its legs.
5: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah. Of course, we hope that it's a fast car, but equally, it's the only one of this category here. Um, so, yeah, it's a good opportunity to show it to the public. Um, yeah, give a stretch of the legs and uh, yeah, gain a little bit of feedback too.
4: I mean, for, for rally cars, the, just the, the aerodynamics on these cars are really quite extraordinary now, just in the last couple of years.
5: Yeah, from the 2017 regulations, the FAA kind of took it a bit of a step to give us some more freedom on the aerodynamics, um, which is great for performance, obviously, but it also adds to the, the visual aspect of the car, which I think kind of works from, uh, from the public perception too. Um, so, yeah, this is um, the regulations for, for these cars, which will be first out in 2022 is quite similar to, to the current WRC cars, with an aim of making some of it a little bit cheaper. So where we've got some of the extreme dive planes and things on the car, you won't see those in a the, in the 2022 evolution. Um, but obviously we do work to try and get the aerodynamic performance to, to be as close to, to that level as we can.
1: Mark Rushbrook, Global Head of Ford Performance.
6: Yeah, a lot about what we do with Ford Performance Motorsports is about relevance of what we sell in the, in the showroom, and our customers drive on the street, and we need to be racing and competing in that same area, so we want to win races and championships that matter. We want to have the innovation and technical learning to go with that as well, the people development, and then the marketing element of it as well. So. We have been trying for, knowing about the electrification that we have coming on all of our road cars with mount hybrids, plug-in hybrids, full electric vehicles, we've wanted to compete somewhere with electrification. And looking at the different series that existed with hybrid or full electric and many that are still coming, we were really happy with what the FIA and WRC as the promoter put together as the new car for 2022. Um, And then as we always have partnered with with M-Sport in the rally world, you can't go racing or competing anywhere without great partners, great people. So obviously wanted to continue the relationship with M-Sport and the opportunity here to to do a new car with new rules. Uh, Ford had influence with a technical working group to influence the new rules to give us the opportunity to compete with a Puma competitively. Uh, and to compete with hybrid competitively so that we can have the marketing story for the Puma, And we can have the relevancy of the hybrid and technical learning genuine technical learning that we'll get with that and then obviously bringing in technical resources where we can to complement what Rich and Malcolm have they're great at developing new cars they've shown that time and time again so we're excited about the development of this new car and being able to contribute where we can uh, with our company resources to make it a great winning car. Malcolm Wilson of M Sport. Yeah we wouldn't be here talking about this without the support of
7: Ford, and that's, for, that's for sure. And uh, of course it's it's the first time in the history of uh, WRC that we're moving away from a production based body shell. So it's complete a lot of work again with the FIA and uh, all, the, all the teams in trying to get the safety side of it up, to, up to spec. So I think there's been a big, uh, there'll be a big improvement in the safety side of, of the car as well. It's the first time we've done a construction like this, but um, I'm really pleased with everything that the way that the guys have, have, have done that side. And then of course it's it's the first time for us for hybrid as well. So uh, I'm pleased to say that we've we've been running the car now for roughly what three months, I think, uh, since we first rolled the car out. Say testing has gone really, really well. Uh, very, very happy with with progress made so far. Um, and the, it's interesting that the, all the drivers that have driven the car, then they're very happy. Also, that they've got a great feeling about the chassis of the car, but uh, also the, the the benefit of the hybrid as well, the extra the extra boost. So it's they're all uh, very happy as well. So at the moment we can't really just we can't wait for Monte Carlo to start. To be honest. Yeah, I mean
0: I think there's a lot of. Um... Discussion and debate about, and and probably the the messaging about the hybrid and how we were going to utilise it within championship.
7: Rich Milliner, team principal of M Sport.
0: It was maybe a little bit mixed or muddied, but for anyone who isn't up to speed, the the hybrid will be predominantly used during the stages uh, in short bursts, and then a braking effort will regen that burst and you will use it throughout the stage. and Effectively, your total battery voltage will, will drop over the course of the stage, and then the idea is the road section will recharge again. We were obviously a little unsure of, of what it was gonna be like. Um, but every driver that's driven it is kind of now wanting it in this car that we currently have this year. So that's always a positive <laughs> if they're if they're looking for it for extra. And when you think about it, you know it's effectively hundred horsepower. When you and uh, you're getting another hundred horsepower where at the moment you're missing it. So if you're traction if you're not traction limited, then it really is a big fill-in for what you've got at the moment. <coughs> so it will be interesting to see how the drivers react, I think it will be a slightly different driving style. You're gonna to have to think a little bit about uh, using a boost because if you go onto the, onto the brakes in the middle of one of your boosts you will effectively lose it until you regen it again. So somebody who can utilise the whole boost, especially when you're looking for, let's say you're going into a long straight with a top speed that's gonna... Uh, you know, you need that top speed for like 800 meter straight, for example. If you've lost it previously because you braked even lightly compared to someone else who's managed to carry the speed through and not got rid of the boost, it's going to be an advantage there. So, I think we're going to learn a lot uh, as we go along. Um, but then also, I actually saw the car drive in EV mode for the first time here on uh, Thursday morning, and uh, it, you know, it instantly kind of resonated of some really fantastic opportunities we're going to have to show the hybrid element of it, and I think service parks or regroups within towns and cities are going to be perfect places to show that it's a hybrid vehicle as well um, and you know there's a lot we're going to have to work on as a championship to to give to get the most from it but I think the relevance of the technology we're putting in is is sensible, it's a sensible step for Rally because everyone knows how difficult it is to change Rally and we don't, we don't want to lose the noise, we don't want to lose the atmosphere and you know we're reflecting the cars that are currently out there so think it's a really exciting opportunity for us and it's now the responsibility of the teams and the the promoter to push that forward as best we can.
3: Oh, Fascinating stuff yeah the World Rally Championships are evolving and um, with new World Rally cars there come new cars on the roads albeit perhaps restricted in their flow because of the Chip shortage and the uh, difficulties in getting cars into showrooms. the one that I think really really is going to interest me this year isn't particularly exotic, but it's as cute as you like and it's the new Citroen Amy, you know the new little electric I City like car that. Oh God, I love that thing I mean it's it's only got eight horsepower from its motor it's 43 miles range uh, it's two and a half meters long and it's as cute as you like. I'd be a buyer of one of those if I only had to do 43 miles a day. Well, I think
2: with the uh, highway code regulations that we had a natter about last <laughs> week, does it, is this a separate category on its own? You know, is it pedestrians, horse riders, cyclists, yeah. the yeah. citronami, and then cars? So actually, does it give you more right of way at a junction?
1: I think it's got four wheels, so as far as they're concerned, it's a car. Mm, yeah, so maybe, maybe not. It's a quadricycle for the purposes that. Like the Mark One Golf, if they reproduced it, wouldn't uh, it doesn't have to fit in any particular safety uh, category, I think. So it doesn't have airbags and bits and pieces, as far as I know. It is just it's the same both ends actually. It's got the front on the back are, are both exactly the same. But it, I think it's kind of brilliant. The doors open opposite each other, so on the passenger side it opens backwards, driver side opens forward, or the other way around. I can never remember which. And it's got lots of little features that are inspired by the 2CV. It's just a very clever bit of design. And they're even yep. doing a van version of it. I don't know if you've seen this, where you use yeah. the passenger seat and it has like a storage box on the sides. So if you're a courier, you can squash a million tea parcels into that and throw them at people through the open doors. It's just just a, a cracking idea. I think it's very cool. I'm not sure it necessarily works in our sort of suburban environment, but I think if you're you're in a city in London, probably if you're in in the right bits of Surrey as well, it it, it would work quite well.
3: Yeah, as long as you haven't got to go too far and range anxiety isn't part of your makeup, I think you'll be happy as Larry. They're great little things. And you're saying about the doors, the doors are that way so that they can use the same door and so it mounts on the car front and back so that they don't have to make two and so it's cheaper to make. I think little things like that are design genius and that's that's exactly as it should be. Pared down... Simple transport, but it's fun with it, and that's all you can ask. I think that's the perfect car, perfect job.
2: See, I think from a uh, from a design or a logistics point of view as well. You know that if if you apply that philosophy across the whole car, how many components does that cut out of the supply chain? How much does that increase uh, production ease by making the same point? I mean, you know, I remember having a, a conversation with our parts department over a set of floor mats for my dad's Fiesta and you needed a chassis number to get the right set of floor mats. And you think, it's a set of mats, does it matter? But there were a couple of changes that Ford made to the fixings, the way the mats were secured down, and then there were a couple of other little changes to the, the pedal box or the floor panel, whatever it was, that, that basically meant, yes, you needed a chassis number, otherwise you got the wrong set of mats because there were four different mats available, depending on when the car was produced. And you know, you scale that up across however many model lines you make, however many cars you make, and uh, uh, and, and it's very easy to remember if it happened last week. Oh yeah, they've changed the uh, the fixings from a you know a circular peg, push it down to a, an old fashioned oval. Rotate the thing. They, you know, you can remember that last week, but when you have to go back fifteen years, how do you remember it? But actually, to say, can I have a door for Miami? Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah. it. You don't even need to remember which side it is. It it just cuts everything down. But, yeah, why, why have different things for different sides? Why not, indeed?
1: I will completely admit at this point, though, I was looking at one of these and suddenly thought it reminded me of something. I couldn't figure out what it was for the life of me until I walked past a building site and saw a grey portable toilet. And I looked at the plastic, <laughs> then thought of the amy, then looked at the toilet and then thought, oh, yes. <laughs> and that is basically what they're like. It's a bit like someone's taken the top and bottom off a Portaloop and put the do- put a windscreen in it and put the doors on it.
2: You can paint it <laughs>
1: yourself; it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, the the one on the matter. website it's got bright orange wheels, but you could the the
2: door panels are so cheap you'd have to go at painting yourself. And if you cocked it up, it would cost you about seven pounds eighty two to change all the bodywork on it. But yeah. it's it it reminds me; it's like having a Radio-controlled car back in the day, isn't it? You'd oh, I don't like yeah. the look of it. I'll buy a new body shell and I'll try and paint it. And if it looks cack, it doesn't matter. I'll throw it away and buy another body shell. They're only four pounds. It's it's that kind of thing.
1: It, it's it's almost like a, a a full-grown car. Well, half full-grown car version of the cozy coupe. <laughs> I will tell you what, this is. It's not quite a full-size car. In the same way that when we went out in the fist last time, we went with someone that we we know through work. We never actually met. So Jim said to him, how tall are you? Because I'm six foot two, whatever you said you were, and Gates is six just foot under six like foot. You are just under six foot. From what distance? I'm five foot eight. That's oh, a fair just bit under six, under six, it's six foot. It's all
2: relative, isn't it? In the grand scheme of things, you are just under six foot. I mean, Mount Kilimanjaro is, what, 20,000 feet tall? So if you compare you next to Mount Kilimanjaro to scale, then, yeah, you're just under six foot. So I was trying to do you a favour there. Come on.
1: So the Ami is the five foot eight of uh, a full-size car is what it is. <laughs> it's, it is the, 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 the sort of grown-up version of a cosy coupe with the plastic panels you can just unbolt and bolt another one on. In the same sort of way you could with an original smart car, but just better. Very true. Well, I mean, they're missing
3: a trick there. There must be some marketing people sitting there going, hang on a minute, it looks like a cosy coupe. We well, could get together with the people that make cosy coupe, license body parts, and then you could drive the real thing. How I cool would, would that, that
1: be? i would would absolutely i like the idea that you could do your proper own customization of it so you could do the if you wanted to have you know brushed artwork whatever else on there you could do it or you could buy the wraps and put them on there or if you wanted to you could do like a scale down back to the future delorean type thing or whatever (laughs) do an ecto one or something just just to make it that bit different i reckon it would it would work and i think it would have a cult following i really do
3: If you want to go to the other end of the scale from the Citroen Amy, at the uh, very other end of the scale, we've got the new Range Rover. That's um, popping up this year, which if you were to cast a casual glance over it, you'd think, hang on a minute, all they've done is just rebadge it and sort of give it a little bit of a nip and tuck. But it apparently is brand new. And the way that you can tell it's the brand new one is if you go around the back, it's got some very controversial lights or lack of
1: lights. I quite like go that.
3: Yeah, well, I don't mind it. It's very minimal, very, very minimal. There are no big LED chunks stuck on the back. There are two black vertical strips on either mm. side of the back of the car that light up like a Christmas tree whenever you put the indicators on or the brakes or whatever else. But, um, yeah, they've really cleaned up the back,
1: and it's, it's dividing opinion, I believe. Well, you have to stick with me on this, but I think that the Range Rover is almost becoming more and more Art Deco. Do you know what I mean it? It, it, when you, If you go into like a, a really beautiful Art Deco building, something like a like the, a pier or something similar, Worthing Pier, for example, has a beautiful Art Deco dance hall at the end, which has been a cafe, and they've been redoing all kinds of bits and pieces. There's something about the way that they've designed it, the lights and the interior, that which has a sort of very 30s ocean liner vibe about it, I think. They've managed to build the grandness into the Range Rover by making it like a cruise liner. Mm. Does anyone else see what I mean by this? I agree it Stre- hasn't defined They've streamlined it. Yeah, and when do you, you know, do you remember those really those quite epic thirties posters? Thrusting steam engines
3: that were all fared in and sort of big yes, yes. I know exactly what you mean. Everything looked elegant
1: and it does. fared down. That was the whole point. It's the mallard. I yeah, I think they've done a really good job of doing it and they've got a reasonable range again now where they've got the defender, which admittedly is nothing like the old one. I'm still not sure I'd want to go around wanging it off trees and things in the same way that the old defenders used to do, because I think it's a bit too pretty. I really like it. But it is a completely opposite end of the scale in terms of its design from the Range Rover. And I think they've done a very good job of having capable vehicles, uh, relatively capable vehicles, of course. they, They... have admitted they have some issues with reliability. I'm sure they've rectified all of those. But, they, uh, you know, you've got a very capable vehicle which is designed to be able to be used for driving around Chelsea or towing three and a half tonnes across a field or whatever. And then you've got a, a, a beautiful cruising machine which will also pull stuff across the field if you need to. I think they've done a, a very good job of making very different models which are very capable in environments opposite to what you think they should be capable in. So on the road, on a field vice versa i think they've done a really good job of it is what i'm trying to say in a very long winded way yeah no matter
3: what you want it for it will go pretty much anywhere you could imagine it going and the new range rover now will do it with seven people it's the first range rover that has a third row of seats so if you specify the long wheelbase version you can carry the entire family or all your servants more likely (laughs) in the back of the thing and um, that's the that's the latest USP from the, the new Rangi. It's um, not going to be cheap. The starting price starts from, so your base version, if such a thing exists in Ranger Overworld, £94,000, which is about $120,000 for our American chums. And what that equates to in other people's currency, I'm afraid I can't tell you. But they're the two I work in, and uh, it's not cheap. No,
1: it's not. It's about time they made it a seven seater. Because to be completely honest, if I was going to choose something from the range, I probably would have always gone for a disco for that reason. Because the Discovery, it has that ability to have, and it's a decent size seven seater as well. The back seats, you can fit an adult in the back, or at least an adult that's just under six foot like me, into the back seats with, with no, no real issue. Very versatile, still incredibly comfortable to drive. And it, I, I was always amazed that the Range Rover didn't do that. But there, there are things that it should do. I think carrying seven people is one of them and having a split level tailgate so you can sit on the back once you've been off shooting clays or whatever it is you've been doing in your Range Rover, you also need. Those, those things are really important to have in, in a Range Rover, to me. Anyway, I think it's, it makes a lot of sense to have those those seven seats. And I think it's the way that the world's going. If people buy SUVs, people don't buy people carriers and bits and pieces anymore. When they buy a, a, a bigger SUV or proper 4 by 4 as the range is, then you want to be able to have that that extra carrying capacity, I think. Admittedly, this isn't a car for the masses, but damn cool nevertheless. I imagine as well, part of it,
3: as well as the servants, because it's not going to be your family. Why would you want to travel with your family when you've got all that amount of money? It's probably for your personal protection detail nowadays, isn't it? Yes, makes sense.
1: I just, I just, I just had a sudden thought then. You imagine you suddenly need your personal protection detail as they scrabble to get out of those back seats <laughs> by lowering the seat down in front, climbing over. Mind the lever as they get out through the side whilst withdrawing their pistol. I can't imagine that being clunky at all, but would be brilliant.
3: I imagine certain modifications would be made to the versions that are carrying people who are worthy of a personal protection detail, and that will have been well and truly taken into account way down the line. I, I should
1: think so. We ended up chatting to a close protection officer who was looking after the Queen who had some special Land Rovers some time ago. And yeah, I, I think they, they, they were not necessarily entirely standard uh, in, in uh, all regards. Um, yeah, they never are but cool nevertheless
3: oh no they're brilliant they're brilliant things and um had i the money i think it's probably one of the first things if i did have a sizeable lottery win it would have to be a range rover of some sort because it's the ultimate do anything car really isn't it it's mm. luxury it will go anywhere it'll carry anything you can sit in the back and look at the plebs shoot things from it all of that and um
1: and do it in style and what's not to like apart from the bill mm. yeah yeah <laughs> And The occasional breakdown potentially. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did wonder, I remember looking at them thinking, Why would anyone want one of these things just to cruise around on the road in? But they they are absolutely excellent for cruising around, and they really are very, very good, um, very things. comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome bits of kit. Anyway, what else is new this year?
3: You can take your pick, and a couple of them have uh been quite interesting talking of suvs as we were i mean there's not really a huge amount of information about this yet but the ferrari puro sange or puros i can't pronounce it basically pure blood i think it means in italian is their much vaunted suv they've had to jump on the bandwagon because they know it's going to sell as many as they can make Uh, It may have a V6, a V8 or a V12, no one's telling yet, but it's likely to have a hybrid if it's a V6 and a V8. Uh, That's about all we know. They've been seen prototypes driving around with various disguises on in various parts of Maranello and everywhere else. But uh, it will be very interesting to see what that comes out like. I imagine it will probably look like the Stelvio on steroids but um, it will have
1: presence. I think of that we can be fairly certain. Uh, we've we've spoken about this at length before, and there's definitely a, um, not not the Ferrari as such, but sort of fast SUVs, and, and certainly there's an argument for the SUV from a family point of view. Are these going to be bought by people who already have a Ferrari and then need something to move their family around in? Probably. And, and some very uh, well-heeled builders, maybe, uh, <laughs> from parts of Soho or something. Who knows? If it means that producing these kind of things results and then being able to continue making sports cars supercars whatever I'm kind of okay with that to be completely honest frankly if you don't like you don't have to buy one do you
3: no I mean they do say it's diluting the breed somewhat but as you say if anything it's helping the breed survive and if that's the case then yeah let them do it I mean they're probably pretty garish they're a bit unseemly but you know Bentley Bentayga there you go yes. what can you do it's um it is I'd, it is I what it know, is the, the,
2: the flip side of that is i don't know for, for those that own a ferrari is a weekend car as you know a, a few people that we know uh own a ferrari or several ferraris and it's it's just their play thing but if they're out and about with a family or the wife wants something it's like well actually you know if somebody said okay you've got a choice of a ferrari or a kia and any further clarification? No. Well, actually, you don't need any clarification, do you? Do you want a Ferrari or a Kia? Doesn't matter what Ferrari it is, and it doesn't matter what Kia it is. You want a Ferrari, so actually, if you have to drive an SUV, if you need or want to drive an SUV, then then surely a Ferrari is the best SUV to have, isn't it? Or an Aston Martin or a Bentley or whatever takes your fancy. So it's I I, I don't know. They're they're obviously not the last word in. A, driving dynamics or uh or a pure automotive vehicle but it's as you say it's, it's the way of the world these days isn't it and and if it allows a few more pennies in the coffers and so they can go off and research and design LaFerraris, and you know are we going to see a mclaren suv anytime soon probably. Yeah, I, I wouldn't bet against it. We're going to have to, aren't we? Bearing in mind, we said a few years ago, nope, nope, you'll never see a Ferrari SUV, whereas now we will see one, then we're mm. going to see a McLaren SUV, aren't we? But actually, if the McLaren SUV means, oh yeah, we, we've done the McLaren SUV, but also we've done a, you know, a, a 7394829 long tail GT speed tail, whatever they call the latest one, and it's got a million T horsepower, Then then actually is one a reasonable trade-off for the other? Yeah, I think it probably is,
1: isn't it? Yep. We've also proved you can't really have a, f- a four-seater fast sports car that, that does the business, looks the business, and is practically in the way that an SUV can be.
2: Still not as good as an estate car, though, let's let's be totally honest. Yeah, I mean, It isn't. An, an Audi RS6, is there any more car that anyone needs to do anything ever? No, there isn't, because it could tow your track car to the Nürburgring and actually if your track car blows up, then sod it. You just take the RS6 around the Nürburgring and you can sleep in the back of it and you can fit your entire family in the back of it. So why that, you know, I'd, I'd be far happier if Ferrari came out with a fast estate, you know, if, if they reinvented the bread van. Actually, I think that would be far
1: better. Well, I mean, I guess what yep. I mean is if you think of the the, the last four door Aston Martin, before dbx which does all the bits and pieces it does the road stuff and off road and all the rest of it but you can chuck a dog in the boot or a couple of dogs in the boot or you get some suitcase in the boot the rapide is probably the the closest thing to a family car they made Pro- before probably want to put the Very dogs pretty. in the suitcases so you don't get
2: dog fur in the back of your aston martin but
1: yeah and there's a reasonable amount of space in there you know it's two seats in the back two seats in the front but to get into the back if you if you're a full grown adult there's not a lot of space for your legs. It's not anywhere near as practical as an SUV is, or an estate would be, but I can't really imagine them making an Aston Martin estate that isn't an aftermarket shooting brake, for example, and then that's going to be a two-door shooting brake rather than anything else. I think so. Like, uh, there's an argument for it. I think in terms of it being a useful car, as well as just being a cynical means of making money. I can see the reason why they do it. Does it dilute the brand? I think it's just a, a necessary evil. If you're into your SUVs or you want something to cart your family around, then fantastic. You've got what is undoubtedly going to be an incredible car for one of them. Would I buy one? Probably not if I had the money. I just just don't think I'd see the point. I probably would buy something like an RS6 because I think an RS6 is probably all you need in terms of family cars. A a big boot, reasonable space inside, all the pace you could ever want in an estate body makes a lot of sense for me. But then I guess I probably don't want or don't need the prestige of rocking up somewhere in a ferrari suv to me something like the Bentayga or whatever is it's just a bit too ostentatious it's just not my thing maybe that's just me
3: no you're not alone it sends the wrong messages it's a bit i don't know a bit gaudy a bit trying too hard for my liking and no it's not really my cup of tea but enough people are buying them and if it lets them as you say as we've said many times if it lets them carry on making the things that the rest of us want them to make so be it And finally, folks, good news! The Aura Cat from Great Wall is heading our way in the first quarter of 2022. Unbridled enthusiasm starts now. I know you were very excited about this, Mike. So uh, your dreams are coming true. When when do you think we'll see the
1: first one? I like the fact it's called the Good Cat in different countries as well, different markets. Like what was, (laughs) was it? I'm sure it was a Bruce Willis character. Was it uh, Lucky Number Seven or something? Can't remember. Anyway, I like the fact that it was it a was good cat. I think it's quite cute looking. It's got bits of Porsche. In, it's got bits of Beetle in, bits of Mini in it. I, I think it's. I would drive that. I honestly would. I think mm-hmm. that's a cool looking little car. It's very cute.
3: Very cute. Yes, it's supposed to start. Hitting our roads, supply chain notwithstanding, any time now, and it starts at twenty-five grand, which isn't
1: actually too bad for one of these things, is it? You'd easily spend that on a mini, wouldn't you? Twenty-five grand.
3: Oh yeah, I mean it's the. It's the same size, apparently, as the um, the Volkswagen ID. Three, but it's about five grand cheaper. They start at about 30, so, you know, it's not too bad. It's big um, as big as that, is it? Yeah, apparently so. It's about four metres long and about two, just under two wide, so it's not wow. exactly huge. It's fairly, mm-hmm. fairly yeah. easily parked,
1: I should imagine. It's not bad. 170 horsepower. In my mind, I imagine, I mean, looking at the car... It looks a bit like it should be around about the size of a a five door mini. Weirdly proportioned as they are, to think that this, mm. it's as big as that—that that seems really, really quite big. That's quite good design though, because it looks smaller than it actually is. That's
3: always mm. always a winner for me. You don't want something that's doing. I mean, like you say, the five door mini just looks, ugh, it's not good. You want something it's well that, out of proportion. Um, yeah, absolutely. But it's like the what's the what's the Kia? It's like the EV six. That's that's another one. It actually. It has the sizing and shape of something that looks like it should be a small hatchback. When you see it, it's actually quite a big car. It's it's yeah. quite a good um, quite a good trick actually, and I think that's that's I'm I'm quite taken by that thing. I I like the proportions, but this yeah the Auracat I for the same reasons you like it. I like it. it it's got a few cues from other other well known manufacture i mean you could argue the chinese are quite good at aping other people's designs aren't they but (laughs) in this case they've actually amalgamated a few and sort of pulled on some heartstrings and and they've done it quite cleverly i i quite like the idea of this it's it's got a range of about 260 miles as well which is useful that's real world mileage as far as i'm concerned it's not your your hundred miles just about if you're lucky of that mazda thing that they've just launched which is just pointless and uh, rapid charging as well. So you can get 80% of your charge in about 50 minutes. So, again, real world stuff. It's it's starting mm-hmm. to become much more the real thing. So I reckon we should have a sweepstake on when we're going to start seeing these things on the road. I, I'm reckoning I'm probably likely to see my first one because I don't get out very much. I reckon probably
6: <laughs>
1: mm,
3: early summer. I'd say early summer. So due, end of May, beginning of June.
1: I'm going to say August the 22nd. Well, that's That's just, just a bigger date. Odd well,
2: oddly specific.
1: I, I think <laughs> it's not not because I'm going to the launch or something, um, but living near, you know, trendy boho Brighton, I, I can imagine seeing those littering the streets of the coffee bars outside uh, Hove.
2: Right. I'm 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 going 18th of August. Then actually, no, I'll go. When did you go? 22nd. I'll go 21st. Oh, t- so I'll be
1: close. What's the Ooh. date of the motor show?
3: That's cheating.
1: Ah, uh, well, 18th okay. to the I, 21st. I I reckon we'll see it in the wild about then. Anyway i'm quite looking forward to it i think that's a cool
3: looking car
5: um i yeah. think
1: so yeah mm, it deserves to
3: succeed i think it's it's they've done the right thing with it and i think it's it looks like fun if you're going to see cars on the road you want something that makes you stop and look and go oh didn't that look good rather than oh god another ferrari suv if
2: i ever did get around to uh or somehow end up designing cars you know, you want the sort of car that you, as an eight or nine-year-old, would have grabbed your dad by by the arm and said, "Dad, Dad, look at that! That's the appeal that you want for a car, isn't it? If you can do that, then that's a good bit of car design. If uh, mm. if it doesn't do that, then I think it's uh, it's somewhat let down."
1: Yep. No, absolutely right. Curb appeal. You'd do that with a nine forty Volvo, to be fair. Well, you would to be fair, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So powering these things then, we've held the view that uh, renewable energy is going to be the success story that will save our uh, anxieties when it comes to having enough fuel to power up electric cars in terms of power in the grid. Do we still think that's going to be the case or are we going to be firing up the the coal-powered generators or gas-powered turbines and burning things to keep these cars running.
2: Well, I think we've uh, I think we've had to. And having a look at uh, looking around at gas and electricity prices, as my fixed-rate deal is uh, due up at the end of January, it, prices have gone absolutely insane. I'm not sure if mm. it's uh, Russian COVID or the Brexit in the Suez Canal or whatever that's caused all the issue, but all the all the manner of hell that beset us in 2021. It, it, prices have just gone nuts. But there's, you know, if, if you're... Home electricity and gas bill has shot up that much. Is is that going to put people off electric cars? You know, if, uh, if your home energy bill goes from, I don't know, 150 quid to 250 quid, Are you going to rush down your nearest car showroom and think, oh, I know, I must get one of those newfangled electric cars just to add to my electricity bill. You know, okay, electricity for running a car is cheaper than petrol, but it'll put people off, I think.
3: Well, the the time will come as well when the government realise that... uh... The margins they're making on the liquid fuel is uh, dropping off at a rate of knots and everyone's switching over to electric, literally. They're going to have to start taxing you there, aren't they? And that time will come.
2: It's already happening. That's already happening in terms of uh, smart electric car chargers and the way they're Mm. wired in uh, and how they can account for the energy and report it back. You know, when uh, when I put the charging point in the house when I moved in, uh, the guy said, "Do you want, uh, you know, one of these? And it does smart this, that, the other, and you can get an app, and it will tell you this, that. No. Nope. And I thought, no, no, I don't want that. Can, can I just have it, you know, sort of wired into a, a red wire and a black wire, and I just plug the car <laughs> in, and it works? Oh yeah, I can do one of them, and it's a lot cheaper." Good, yeah, I'll have one of those. Thank you very much. And it's, uh, it's a win-win win for everyone. A nicer way of doing it, I think, because it's, it's going to happen that you know, that anything used as a road fuel is, uh, is subject to VAT and duty and X, Y, Z, just as chip oil on uh, diesel cars was uh, a thing back in the late '90s, early 2000s, wasn't it, for running your car yep. on? Uh, yeah, and everybody absolutely. wanted to start taxing it and actually, oh, well, if you just fill in the form and say that, yes, the four miles that you pulled me over and I was doing and I'd pay the tax on, etc. But it's uh, the, the, there's going to be a black market in home EV charging points I think any minute now, or a lot of people saying, "Oh well, I'll just wire it in myself. It's only two or three wires. How hard can it be?"
3: Lots of um, suspicious wires coming out of lamp posts, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's, um, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it's again, this is this is a sign of the times. But I do have it on relatively good authority from someone in the know that um, coal-fired power stations have had to be kicked back into use, primarily because of the draw on the electricity grid being caused by the rapid uptick in use of electric cars, which rather misses the whole point of the exercise, does it not?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, uh, well, when we were having all the surveys and works being done at work for the electric car charging points to go in, we, uh, we ran a few numbers and, uh, and it turned out that the peak demand of our two electric charging points would be the same as the rest of the electricity that our building had ever used at its peak point, so that's all the ramps, all the air conditioning, the computers, the absolutely everything for an entire car dealership full of, you know, seven ramps and 40 people running around using everything and not paying the electricity bill, so you use electricity with want and abandon, you know, these, these two car charging points use the same as all of the rest of that put together, so our usage doubled. Like that, if you're charging two cars, our electricity usage is double what it ever has been. So, And that's that's just one car dealership in, in the, the corner of a relatively small town. So scale that up across and, and look at the number of superchargers you have at motorway services. It's insane the amount of electricity that needs to be produced. Yep.
3: Uh, but yet yeah, you've got all these people swanning around in their Teslas thinking they're saving the planet. Little do they
1: know. <laughs> I think a lot of this is because the, the uptake has been so much quicker than that expected. And before too long, technology in terms of what we're getting for renewables will catch up. It's a temporary problem. Ultimately there should be enough power going into the grid to be able to charge the cars up. Whether that ends up being you you get switched on at certain times during the evening or on and off at certain times during the evening or it's cheaper. Like the you know, the electric mountain where there's a sudden demand so it uses it, it delivers all the power that it generates from sucking the water to the, to the, to the top of the, the mountain to power its own hydro uh, generators and then uses the cheap power at night time when i was using it to, to pick it back up for drops the water down to generate more power or whatever i think we're going to be doing the same sort of thing where we end up charging cars when people don't need it.
2: That does make sense, and most uh, most electric cars, well actually I think all electric cars have a schedule function built into them, so you can say, uh, oh well when I'm at home, only charge between 1am and 6am, and that's fine because that's when I get the cheap electricity, but when I charge anywhere else, charge it straight away. So all, that, all that's been baked into electric cars from day one, really.
1: Yes, I think there has got some potential, but I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Watch this space.
2: Anyway, on the uh, subject of uh, running economically at night time, it's, uh, it's all getting a bit late, so I think we've, uh, we've all well and truly run out of energy for this evening, haven't we?
1: We really must go and recharge our own batteries. So on that note, from me, Mike, it's goodbye. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. Take care. And from me, Dave, take
3: care. Speak to you next time.
5: UK Motor Talk, a First Take Media production.